as we are in a bridge uh, sermon of sorts. My intention is next week probably to begin and dive into uh, what I would call the Lord's Prayer 2.0, which is John 17 and the high priestly prayer. We have just studied through uh, the Lord's Prayer, and we're about to read it again. And we're going to dive into literally the Lord's Prayer when Jesus himself is going to pray for us. And so we're going to continue to learn about prayer and how, and how Jesus prays and what he prays for for the next month or so. But today, we're in a bridge as we're going to continue to look at prayer, but I want to address something that is quite critical to giving us confidence as we move into prayer. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13 If you have a Bible, I hope you'll read along with me. I'll read out loud as you read silently. If you don't have a Bible, it's cool. We got the scripture on the the screen for you. Hear God's word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Then immediately following this, he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, or the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a scorpion or for a fish, will get instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This ends the reading of God's holy and infallible word where the grass wither and the flower fade. May the word of our God stand forever. Well, we've been looking at prayer and the Lord's Prayer for the last couple of months, and prayer is such a gift. It's been an incredible gift in my own life. This idea that you are invited to come into the very presence of God, and you're invited to come into his presence not as a distant servant or a slave, not as some simply person coming before some great potentate, although that is true, but ultimately we've come before God as our Father. We are his child's. And you're given the opportunity to personally worship the name of God and to be enamored by the king and his kingdom in his very presence. You're given the right to bring your requests before him and the needs of your for daily bread, to ask him for forgiveness, to ask a holy God for forgiveness. And you can ask him for protection. Before the God of the universe, you get to do this every day, all day, anytime. And we have this amazing statement in verses 9 and 10 on Luke chapter 11. And I tell you this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who asks, receive. These promises are throughout the scriptures. 
How God promises to hear our prayers, to answer our prayers, to say yes to the prayers of those who walk with him. What a beautiful truth. Prayer is such a gift. But if you would allow yourself some spiritual and intellectual honesty for one moment, if you would not prefer to remain in a shallow Christianity, mousing truths that, while being no less true, strike the honest sufferer in the room this morning as empty cliches. You see, we have this enormous dilemma when it comes to prayer, especially in light of passages like this. Why is it that so many of our prayers remained unanswered? Or why have so many of our prayers quite clearly been rejected by God? We must not rush too quickly here to solve the problem with glib talk about how God simply always gives us the yes, no, or not yet answer. That's true. But if we're honest and not just simply trying to cover up our insecurity and our own personal doubts, we must all admit to the deep perplexity over the fact that God promises to answer our prayers so many times and yet so often doesn't. You see, we all have stories of unanswered prayer. You prayed for your parents to be healed, and they weren't. You prayed for your marriage to be restored and it hasn't been. Or you prayed to be married at all, and you aren't. You prayed for someone trapped in addiction, an addictive sin, and that person may be you. And you think, why in the world would God have not have set my friend or me free of this? Why would it not be God's will to immediately erase this sin and this addiction from my life? You've prayed for the sick. You've prayed for a sick child. A child with a disorder, and the Lord took that child home way too early. God, why, why in the world would you not say yes to the healing of faithful believers who get on their knees with tears and faithfulness to you? Why would you not say yes to that? Perhaps you prayed for clarity regarding a decision, and clarity never came. I read of one woman this week who was a child. She was abused sexually almost nightly by her older brother. And when her mother found them together, she, instead of calling the police on the older brother, she slapped the daughter and called her a whore. The woman said, I cried out every night for God's help to make it stop. And God never answered. See, some of us, we've prayed some things that maybe feel relatively small in comparison to that. For example, I've prayed hundreds of times when I had a colicky baby, that the Lord would soothe that child. Only it seemed like every time I prayed, that child simply cried louder. Other things are grand and large. We prayed for peace, and there is no peace. For provision, and there is no provision. For forgiveness for lost ones, and yet they still run away from God's cleansing. C.S. Lewis has said this, every war Every famine or plague, almost every deathbed is the monument to a petition that was not granted. You know, there's a large group of Christians in the world that are part of an ethnic group called the Kurds. Do you think they're not praying like crazy? We would like to believe it when Jesus says, ask whatever you wish. And yet that seems so 
demonstrably untrue. Such realities in this world actually led the writer Emily Dickinson to put to paper these words. There comes an hour, she said, when begging stops, when the long interceding lips perceive their prayer is vain. Is that you? Have all the words that I have spilt and Andy and Weber over the last couple months landed on your, on your wounded heart where there have been prayers that have gone unanswered and you have heard those things and it is simply washed away from you because of the unanswered prayers. You cannot engage with this idea of an intimate prayer life with God. You say, what about my unanswered prayers? It's the, the, the nagging question under all the wonderful things that we say about prayer. What about when God says no? What about when he says no and it just hurts so bad that he said no? And we must have an honest answer as Christians. We, we must confess that we have a genuine, not an imagined problem. Any supposed solutions that I or anyone else gives are only partial and will not make the problem or the pain fully go away. I do not understand why the heartfelt petition of a terminally ill person or a homeless person are not answered by a just and good God. And by the way, I can be very clear about this. Beware of the people who would like to tell you why. There are all those, in fact, and maybe yourself, we are often looking for God's whys in between the lines, but you don't see the end of the story, and we should not be too quick to give answers to the whys when we haven't seen the end of the story. Beware of people who like to run a running commentary of why you're going through what you're going through. Well, God just might, you, maybe you just have, you have some sin in your life you need to deal with. Or, well, and, or they look for the, 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 the half-filled cup. They look for the, the rose-colored glasses look at it. Well, isn't that great that you still three out of your four kids still walk with Jesus? Meanwhile, one of them is running away from him as fast as possible despite all your prayers. For many stories, God never tells us why. And you cannot let the things you do not know, though, keep us from finding some comfort in what we do know. And so I'm going to try to give us some comfort, even while I want you to understand this, that prayer is a mystery, and it is hard. It is a delight, but it is difficult because of this issue. And let me say at the outset, I don't have clear and definitive answers for why God has not answered some of the specific prayers in your life. But what I hope to provide this morning is some clarity and some comforts in the midst of the mystery. And let me say, state what my goal is this morning. Because it's the means by which I'm going to give order to our time together. My goal is that despite the fact that you will face many unanswered prayers, and you have faced many unanswered prayers, my goal is that you still keep going to God in prayer. I want to convince your heart that this is the place you need to be. So the driving idea this morning, and what we'll begin every quote-unquote point this morning is with the phrase, in the face of so many unanswered prayers, keep praying because. Why should you keep praying? Because. I'll give you four answers this morning. In the midst of the mystery, four answers. I'm going to keep coming back to the tension of this between every point but here are four answers. In the face of so many unanswered prayers, keep praying because God does answer prayer. He doesn't answer all of them, and he doesn't say yes to all of them, 
But he does promise to answer prayer. Verse 9 and 10 says, I I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. People want to know, does prayer really work? Do our prayers really make a difference? I mean, God says, I know everything you need before you ask it. So why ask? And yet the very person who said, I know all the things that you need and all the things you're going to pray, still told us to bring your prayers before him. The one who says, I know the hairs upon your head and the moments of your days. But Jesus is also, he's anticipating our objections. The same Jesus who says, listen, he already knows your requests and your needs, is also the one who makes audacious promises like, if you abide in me, in John 15, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done to you. It's almost as if Jesus understands the dilemma. Because here's what Jesus is giving us in these promises in the New Testament, and he gives them to him quite a few times. He is giving you, in prayer, a blank check to ask before the Lord's. It's a blank check. He is saying you cannot read the Bible and you cannot read the history of God's people without coming away with the conclusion that God answers some of the most profound and crazy of outlandish of prayers. We live in an open universe. This is an amazing thing. We live in an open universe in which God, Yahweh, acts and moves with power and care. We don't have a closed universe, and by that I mean there there is a God who intervenes into this world. There's a God who responds to what happens in this world. And when you walk through the Old Testament, you see barren women praying to receive a child, and God provides it. You see people crying out in slavery and God answering their cries. We see people who rebel against God, and when God brings his, pours his judgment out on them, God intercedes on, for, Egypt, like for Israel against Egypt. When people rebel against God, and God sends them into captivity, they repent and they cry for mercy, and guess what? God listens and he acts. Prophets who prayed over dead bodies, those dead bodies were raised to life. Kings who were sick prayed to be restored, and God gives them more days. God rescues cities because they cry out to him. God answers prayers. God says, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will answer you, and I will deliver you. And the bedrock assumption then that God is this from the Bible is that God hears and answers prayers. Story after story, Elijah, Elisha, Daniel, Nehemiah, the Bible is maybe one, simply one story after another in which people cry out to God and God answers their prayers. Yes, a a sovereign God who has ordained the beginning to the end. And yet, the best prayers in the world have never found some grand contradiction between the fact that God sovereignly rules and reigns over all things and yet at the same time has ordained that you would pray prayers that lead him to act in which the ways in which he has already planned to act. Here's how Charles Spurgeon put it. He says this about the enormous power of prayer, that the muscles of omnipotence are moved by a thin nerve called prayer. That when God's people pray, God moves. Now, part of our problem with our our existential issue with unanswered prayer is that we forget rather rapidly just simply the shock and awe, the amazement, and frankly, it's it's mysterious to us, That the God of the universe, the sovereign Lord and King who reigns over every single thing in this world, hears our prayers and responds to them at all. And yet he does. Yes, with many no's. Yes, 
often with silence, but there are often as many times where he says, I will listen and I will act. The great masters of prayer have seen no contradiction here between God's complete control of the world, God's sovereign control, and God's deciding to use our prayers as one of the means by which he exercises his control in this world. But you say, okay, I have a blank check. I can ask whatever I want of God's. Then why does God appear to cash so few of my prayers? I don't even write big checks. I pray to get better faster. And he doesn't cash that prayer. You see, I want you to understand this. God longs for us to be so enamored. That's why he gives us these promises. He, gives, he wants us to be so enamored at him and so trusting that we believe that not only he possesses the goodness that he desires to answer each one of your prayers in the affirmative, but he also has the power that would enable him to do so. But we also need to see that in the midst of God answers and God's promises to answer, God has also provided some requirements before he signs the check. It's a blank check. But as opposed to there being two signatories, there's two. Or one signatory, there's two. You sign the check, you hand it to God, but it requires him to cash it, to sign it himself. So ask whatever you wish. With great faith, ask like a little child. Ask for what you wish and what you desire. Ask big prayers, ask specific prayers, ask bold prayers. Fill out the check, the blank check of prayer with grand numbers, but understand that there is some fine print about these promises. Some fine prints. Let me just run through some of the fine print of the New Testament and the Old Testament in regards to these promises in our prayers. The blank check of prayer promises comes to those who first have faith. Matthew 22, 21, 22 says this, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. James says that if you pray with doubts, then you should not expect to receive anything from God. You pray in Jesus' name. You come to God the Father, not in your own righteousness, not in your own strength, not in your own greatness, but you come covered by the righteousness of Jesus, and you pray with faith in him, and you pray in faith in the goodness and the power of God, that he is good and desires good things for you, and that he is able to bring good things for you. Now, what this does not mean is that you don't get prayer simply because you believe automatically, very specifically, that God is going to answer this prayer. If you were to say, God, I want a red Toyota Corolla, and God gives you a blue one, right? This, it doesn't mean that you had a lack of faith. What we are saying here by having faith in God is that we're generally believing that God is good and God is powerful. It doesn't mean I have to conjure up some, like, blow a hernia believing, yes, Lord, I believe you're going to give me this exact thing, what I just asked for. But you believe that God has the power to deliver it. You believe that God has the goodness that he would want to give you good things. So you pray with faith. The blank check of prayer promises comes to those who pray according to his will. Matthew 21, 22. Again, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, one of the means that Jesus promised of whatever, how do we understand whatever you ask? Well, whatever you ask is also we must understand and shape around what other scriptures say about that whatever. It says this in 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, or when I say whatever, according to his will, he hears us. In other words, part of the fine print of him signing the check is that whatever you ask in prayer, he will give you, well, that whatever has to be in line in accord with the will of God. Now, this is referring to the revealed will of God. 
It means it is in line with what God has said in his word is good and great in this world. I'm not praying contrary. It means you're not going to pray contrary to the heart and desires of God. But I'm praying the kind of thing that God would be pleased to bring about in this world. Now understand, this is no divine bait and switch. This is not a radically sounding promise that isn't actually radical. But understand this, that when Jesus declares to us that you can pray and mountains will be moved, he, but he also is meant to move, pray, to, that we are also meant to move, pray to move the mountains that he wants moved. Not simply all the mountains specifically that we want moved. He, want a, he might want a different mountain to be moved. And that mountain might, most often is your faith. It will be moved closer to him. The third, blank, the third the blank check of prayer promises comes to those who have a heart and life that is pleasing to the Lord's. We can be blood-bought children of God who are legally and judicially justified and adopted and yet at the same time have sin that disrupts fellowship with God and indeed disrupts your prayer life. We can become so nearsighted and so self-centered, even as Christians we develop thickened eardrums or we don't hear his will well. The result is an inability to discern the heart of God that actually makes your prayers go askew. Psalm 66, verse 18, it says this. If, a psalmist says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. And James 4, it says that we need to ask with right motives. In fact, it actually says this about right, living in, having a heart, right motives, but also living a right life. It says this in 1 Peter 3. It says that failing to honor your wife, husbands, will actually hinder your prayers. That God may be more inclined to say no because he wants to do some corrective work on your life. Both Isaiah and Micah both tell us that if we fail to care for the poor, fail to seek justice for the widow, for the orphan, for the immigrant, and the impoverished, if we fail to correct oppression, and if we break marriage vows with adultery, then we should not expect that God will answer our prayers. So the way you live your life, the state of your heart can affect your prayer life. If you're living in a way and walking out your life in a way that is displeasing to God, then you should not expect to have your prayers answered. Now, here's the thing. God still does so often because he is just that good. That there, there are many times which I prayed for things and I had great doubts, and yet he gave it to me anyways. It may seem strange to us so that the issues of political and domestic would have a direct effect on our prayers' lives, but if prayer, but if we view prayer not as God being some cosmic genie, but prayer being something that is a relational interaction, we understand that how we treat God's creatures and God's children and we treat those around us will affect a rather intimate relationship we have with him. If you come to me, and we are close friends, and I love doing great things for you, but then you come to me and you say, hey, Andrew, I, don't, I hate your children and your wife, then guess what? That makes me less inclined to give you good things. It means there's some sort of restoration that has to happen between us relationally before there's necessarily yeses coming from my mouth all the time. In the same way, you cannot say, I love you, God, I love you, God and I enjoy spending time with you, but I hate your stupid God your stupid dog, God, and I hate your bratty kids. See, how I treat what belongs to my God will affect my relationship with him. And four, we also see the blank check of prayer promises comes to those who pray with perseverance. 
What's it say in our passage today? Even in the midst of that promise, ask, seek, know. These are present tense verbs. They have a sense of having been done right now and continuous onward into the future. And it means continuous, nonstop action. Do not necessarily expect to get things that you ask God for simply because yesterday in the car you threw up a Hail Mary prayer. You ask until you lose your voice, you knock until your knuckles bleed, and you seek until you faint. You wear God out with your praying. These are the type of prayers that get answered. Now, even in all this, there are many times when I doubt, and yet God still provides yeses to my unfaithful prayers. When I pray out of selfish motives, and yet God gives me gifts anyways, because he's gracious and he's good. But I want you to see this, is that You've been given a blank check, and it is indeed a blank check, but it's a blank check that requires two signatures, mine and God's. And it's not simply fine print. That's how we think of it. It is fine print. But we kind of look at that and go, eh, that means that when God says I can ask anything, it kind of means, well, really, you can't ask for anything. We say, if it be thy will, Lord, and we tack that on at the end of our prayers as if that is the catch. But don't you understand that if it be the will of the Lord is not a catch, that's a safety net? It's a safety net for your good and for his glory. You see, God is not some genie in the sky. He provides a blank check, but he protects us from turning our relationship with him into something that is merely bank transactional. He ensures that it's still a relationship and that your prayer life is still vibrant and intimate. It is a blank check given to the only one who has the power to cash it and the only one with the wisdom to know whether whether he should. And so, yes, write what you desire, what you long for. Write, God has given you a stack of checks. Write on them, write ridiculous requests, write for crazy specific things, write those things, but also understand you submit them to the hands of a holy and good God who is wise. And so we pray. So we pray. So, it's the first thing I want you to see in the midst of unanswered prayers keep praying because God does answer prayers. Even with the fine print, God has answered many prayers. You say, okay, I understand. I understand that prayer is not some access to Santa Claus in the sky. I don't expect him to answer prayers, get my prayers for an A when I'm on the way to the test and I never studied. I get that. You know, I don't expect God to answer yes to my prayers for a Ferrari, my false motivations there for self-aggrandizements. But what if you're praying like this? What if you're praying according to the will of God, You're praying faithfully, and you've prayed for years, and with endurance, and with tears. What then? I'm going to keep coming back to the tension. What about the things that are good and decent and seem so evidently aligned with God's purposes for the world, like the healing of one of God's children, one of your children, or any children for that matter, or the conversion of someone dear to us, or the conversion for anyone for that matter? Isn't that in line with God's will? Wouldn't that bring him glory? The reality of the scriptures is that God does not always choose to answer the prayers of saints with the affirmative, even when it appears that all the blanks have been filled, when all the boxes have been checked. God does not always give us what we ask for, but we still pray. Keep praying. Keep praying even in such cases when it appears that you're praying by the will of the Father or you're praying with as pure motivation as you can. You keep praying, and here's why. Because God is good. He is a good and sovereign Father. Look at verses 11 through 13. It says this. 
What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's going, it's the argument from the lesser to the greater. That if you're evil, even if your kids ask you for things that you know will be bad for them, you won't give them something that's bad for them, you give them what is good for them even if they don't like it. God is our Father in heaven, and he knows how to give good gifts to his children. He is wise and he is good. And so God is wiser than your prayers. And he loves you more than you love yourself. And he loves your children more than you love your children. Not only is God our our Father good, but he is sovereign, he is all-powerful, and he is all-knowing. You see, not only do we have a good Father who wants good things for us, but we also have a Holy Father and King who knows the beginning and the end. And so he sees our requests in light of the whole picture. We ask imperfectly. Did you know that? We ask imperfectly, and so God has to do some corrective works to ensure that he gives us good things. Many times in our short-sightedness, we ask for things that are not in our best interest. Other times, we, the, the answer to our prayers would be actually be detrimental to us or to other people, or simply, it might mean the refusal of somebody else's prayer. Then there are times when our prayers are simply self-contradictory. God, grant me patience, fast. And finally, sometimes our prayers, if answered, would actually do us sin. We simply are not yet prepared for what we have asked for. Even, even non-Christians have understand that there is something, if you were actually, if all of your prayers were answered, that would make you a very dangerous person. Actually, it would make you God. Mahatma Gandhi actually says this. He, was, he asked, if you were given the power to remake the world, what would you do first? And he replied, I would pray for the power to renounce that power. There are some prayers that we are praying and we think we can see the outcomes, but there are many other things that we pray for. Perhaps you're praying for to get a specific job, but we cannot see the outcomes and the ramifications of what we are asking God for. And so, God, so praise God he doesn't answer all of our prayers. God knows what if he gave you something in particular, what the idol it might become in your life. God sees something that we cannot see. You see, Oscar Wilde put it so well when he said it this way, when the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. C.S. Lewis put it this way, if God had granted all the silly prayers I've made in my life, where should I be now? Well, we go from Oscar Wilde and C.S. Lewis great thinkers to simply Garth Brooks, who had a hit song where he sings about the fact that he doesn't, God doesn't answer all of our prayers, and that doesn't mean he doesn't care, because God, sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, and he goes on to pray, to think about and recall his high school sweetheart. Some of you prayed, like Garth Brooks, that God would give you a particular person to be your spouse, and if you were to actually think about those prayers, and the thought that if God had given you a yes to those prayers, you would have a face of unmoored, unhinged cringing. Uh Uh-oh, he gave me that prayer? 19th century Scottish preacher and theologian P.T. Forsythe observed perceptively, says this, we shall come one day to a heaven where we shall gratefully know that God's refusals were sometimes the true answers to our truest prayers. Instead, God gives us answers to our prayers that are far greater than we would have ever asked for. Here's what I want to say. I want to put it this way. Because you have a good and sovereign Father, God provides perfect answers to imperfect prayers. Sometimes unanswered prayers opens the door to something far better than we could ever imagine. And so here's our comforts. In the words of Soren Kierkegaard, he put it this way. This is our comfort, that God answers every prayer 
For either he gives us what we pray for or he gives us something better. God's no's are often so that he can give us something better. Charles Spurgeon simply said this, that if you can't trace God's hand, trust God's hearts. Listen, you may not see the end from the beginning. You may not understand why it is that God is bringing some suffering in your life or why he's not answering particular prayers in your life, and yet you can entrust yourself to the character of God's goodness. I don't understand why you're not saying yes to this, but I'm going to trust that you're a good God and that you're sovereign and that you know better than me. Right? I saw we have Romans 8:28 on our fridges. Right? God works all things together for those who love him. So your second point. Keep praying because God is good and sovereign. You say you did not. You didn't pull out Romans 8:28. And you say, that's nice. You know, I hadn't heard Romans 8, 28 in about 48 hours. Thanks, Sherlock, for that tidy answer to my suffering. And, you know, the thing that I have a problem with God's unanswered prayers in my life is it actually just seems so darn arbitrary. God answers the prayers of some and not others. You know, a woman struggling with fertility for years and years, hears the story of Hannah, and she goes, why would God answer her prayer and not mine? The cries of parents who through the ages that God would keep their kids in the church and in faith and while they see other kids remaining, other parents' kids remaining faithful, their kids have run headlong away from the faith. Why, God? It seems so arbitrary that you would listen to their prayers and not mine. To the child, to the family who's lost a child, to an infant disorder, it brings them no solace to hear of another child's recovery. It only brings up more questions. Many books on prayer include a statement like this, God always answers prayer, but sometimes the no is the answer. And I read that statement and think of specific friends and relatives who receive the negative answer. And it is true, right? God says no. And yet in my pain and my sorrow in the midst of unanswered prayers, that pain of that, you ask the question, why? Were my prayers really that much more deficient from theirs? Is this really a matter of you, a God who really is working in such a way that my faith is because it's so much smaller than theirs that you answer no? Why the answer to some people's requests and no to the others? God, I see no reason that you say no to prayers pleading for the provision of starving children in this world. You say it's for your good. I see no reason to say no to my prayers that my child would survive. Oh, that's nice. You're going to bring some good, some good in eternity from my child's death. But why my child's? I can believe that you're sovereign and that you're good, but why still my kid? In fact, it makes you want to say, God, get your paws off my kid. Head down down the street. Find your eternal good somewhere else, God. And so why do you keep praying in that moment when God's answers to prayer feel so arbitrary? And I would say it's actually right here. The answer is right in front of us. It's because God actually invites you to keep praying those why prayers. God invites your impudent prayers. The very beginning of our text, it actually says this: Which of you has a friend that will go with him? Go, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, "Friend, lend me three loaves." For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is friend, he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
Did you hear that? Impudence. Jesus is actually lauding impudence, shamelessness. For those of you, there was a number of leaders in our church who were doing prayer training yesterday. We learned what this word impudence means, that you have a shamelessness in coming before the Lord. It means without shame, you will say anything. It means you can come with boldness and with courage. And I want you to understand this, that God allows you to pray with great boldness. In fact, to wag your finger in his face and ask some serious questions. He actually invites your frustrations and your complaints. God allows us to ask these things. More than I got, I would actually say that God expects that we will ask and he expects that we will complain. How do I know that? How do I know that God will actually invite you into a prayer life where you ask a lot of hard questions of him? Because God has given us a whole book where that's the case. In fact, God gives us the very words. When you don't even know how to complain to God, God has actually said, you know what, you don't know how to complain very well. I'm going to give you the words to complain to me. It's called Psalms. The Psalms invite you to bring your complaints to God. This is what the Psalms are. Right there in the smack dab in the middle of your Bible are 150 standards of God inviting us to pray our emotions. And so the ner- your emotions are the nervous system of the soul. You don't suppress your emotions. You don't hide them. Now, you don't laud them. You don't enthrone them. But you're allowed by God to give voice to them in his presence. Listen to some of the Psalms. Psalm 6, verse 6 says this. God, I am weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Incidentally, that is, this is why I love the Psalms, right? The Psalms don't word, use like our, our Christianized, sanitized words. They use very deep words. God, my life is a pit. It stinks. It's like a miry muck. I've been stuck forever, and you are nowhere to be found. When you are tired and discouraged, we, we, you can say what you said in this morning. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? When, you, when, when you're angry and you're confused with God's ways, Psalm 10.1 says this, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? My life stinks and you ain't anywhere to be found, God. You seem to have run for the hills. You're on vacation somewhere else. You've given me no attention, and you may have your accusations even to God. And God gives us the language to complain, to complain to him even when we don't have the words he's provided them for us. It's almost as if God is telling us, I know, this is really important, I know, and I have known that there will be times when you will want to stand before me, and you will want to rush bum rush me and you will want to use your fists and you will want to beat on my chest and you want to say why 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 and god is saying please do beat on my chest that is why i gave you the psalms it seems that as far as god is concerned any prayer at all any prayer at all, no matter how angry, confused, troubled, discouraged, depressed, sputtering, muttering, these prayers are better than no prayers at all. And shoot, you might even sin. And yet he invites you into his presence. I mean, you're going to sin away from his presence. You might as well sin in his presence. But stay in relationship. See, God would rather us wrestle with him like Jacob does than wash our hands of him like Pilate does. And so pray. So pray, even in the face of unanswered prayers. Keep praying. He gives you the voice to keep doing it. So why would a holy God allow this, though? Why would God allow us, people who who look at him, the sovereign God of the universe, and go, 
You, you don't know better than me. Who, when we have the audacity to say these things and ask our whys and our questions, why would he allow that? It seems because this keeps open the possibility of what he desires most and what we need most in the face of unanswered prayer. And what is that? It's your last point, and that is that we get his presence. Unanswered prayer is a mystery, but you keep praying because God in prayer provides us his presence. And here we get to the core of why we even pray. Are you going to God because you want to get something from God or because you want God himself? Prayer in the essence of its essence, what it is, and what actually the purpose of it and the end of it is communion with God. To get to talk and walk, to be intimate with God. The greatest gift God can give us and the thing we most need and most want is communion with him. The heart of prayer is to know God and to experience communion with God. It actually says it here. Verse 13 of Luke chapter 11, it says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, what are the gifts of the ultimately good Father? His presence in the Holy Spirit. Himself. Jesus says to ask for whatever we want, but of all we could ask, are the ultimate good that God can give and the ultimate good that God does give us along the way as we pray is himself. He said, yes, ask whatever you want. I may say yes or I may say no, and you may not understand it, but here's the promise that you have even as you go through my unanswered prayers is I will go with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, you not only have God's presence, but by continuing in prayer, In the face of unanswered prayer, you receive the gift. This is really important. And this is often why God doesn't answer our prayers. You receive the gift in unanswered prayers, and yet continuing to go to him, you receive the gift of experiencing God's pleasure and presence more deeply than you've ever experienced it before. You say, it's fine and important to pray, give me, but more important is to pray, Lord, teach me that nothing I have asked for is better than you. There's an old hymn by Newton. It goes like this. Its title is, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. It's in the context, Newton is writing the hymn right after his friend William Cooper, who he had started a hymn writing project with. But not long into the project, Cooper went insane in a way. And so Newton went on with his work all by himself and was kind of beaten down like this and was really frustrated. And so, but he writes this this work, this hymn, in the midst of it. And follow along, it's a narrative. It's a hymn that follows a story of his own thinking. And here's how it goes. I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. So he wants to grow. That's the request. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. "'Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer." And here's the, the, tr- the transition, though. "'But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. "'I hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request, "'and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest.'" Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds, that's kind of his, his water carrier, not the pumpkin, and laid me low. 
Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answered your prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mightst find thy all in me. Mother Teresa said it a little bit more briefly. She said, you'll never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. Sometimes our biggest need is to have our perceived, our perceived need go unmet so that God may meet a deeper need that we never knew we had. Or perhaps we knew but didn't care about enough. Paul understood this, right? Paul said he prayed three times. Take this thorn in the flesh away from me, he says in 2 Corinthians 12. Three times. And you know the word thorn in the flesh there? We think of that as a thorn is like the kind of thing that your kid gets as they run through the woods. No, actually the word here for thorn is a word for stake. It means I'm in such sorrow and pain, it's as if someone has driven a stake into my stomach. That's how bad this thorn in the flesh was. And this flies in the face, and yet Paul prays with faithfulness, and he goes, and yet God has not answered my prayers. God hasn't answered my prayers. Why would he not? I'd be able to do so much more ministry, and yet God didn't answer his prayers. Why? He says this, so that God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, God didn't give me the answers to my prayer. Even things that appeared to be along the lines of his will, and things that I prayed for faithfully and with tears, and yet he didn't say yes. Why? Because he wanted me to have more of him. More of him. And the, here's the, here's the, here, and this is really critical. And the way you go to a deeper experience of God, a greater recognition that God is all you need and all you have, the way you get there, the way you get to a deeper experience of God is through trust proved and strengthened through obedience. That your faith and your trust in the Lord is grown even as you exercise that faith. To the human experience, there is no greater challenge to our faith than to continue to pray to God, to entrust ourselves to him when we are baffled and indeed we look at our prayer life and we go, not only have you answered no, but you have done things that have hurt me. And yet in that moment, you'll say, God, I'm still going to pray to you. I'm still going to submit my life to you. I want to take us to an odd place to show you this. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, it says this. In the days of his flesh, it says, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him, the Father, who was able to save him from death. And then it says this in verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Really quickly, it says Jesus learned obedience. What in the world does that mean? It means that while Jesus was always without sin, Jesus had to experience obedience in the midst of suffering. He actually had to, to have a righteousness that over in the midst of a place where it was hard to trust the Father, he actually had to obey. He had to enact his faith. And what was Jesus' suffering? You know what Jesus' suffering was? What's the greatest point of his temptation, the greatest point of his suffering? It's having his, his prayers to the Father go unanswered. 
When he says to the Father, take this cup from me, and God the Father doesn't take it from him. See, his prayer is to be prayer to the cross, and he wasn't. His prayer was rejected. And he cries out on the cross, the same cries that some of you have prayed, and cried out before the God, and the same cries of the psalmist, the prayer warrior with no answers to show for it will pray this, and Jesus would Jesus prays on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You've rejected my prayers. You've abandoned me. Two unbelievable implications. First, it is so good and so true that even though God in your suffering may say no, he may give you so many unanswered prayers in the midst of that sorrow and that suffering in the midst of that confusion and mystery of all the yeses and the noes and the waits it's this is that god never leaves you in the way he left the son and therefore we have verses like isaiah 43 when you walk through the fire we have a yahweh who is with us and he may not explain to us yet while he has said no but he says i'm coming with you I'm going to weep alongside of you. I'm going to be there with you. But the other implication is this. I want you to see this. But in in the face of what is actual forsakenness, when Jesus is actually abandoned by the Father, in the face of his unanswered prayer, Jesus turns in obedient trust to the Father, and he says this. What's the last thing Jesus says? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he turns in a great act of faith in defeating sin and death. He says this, into thy hands I commit my spirit. You said no to my prayers, and yet I will commit myself to you. I will submit my life to you. That's a prayer. That's trust. And what's the result of Jesus doing that? Salvation for you and me. And Jesus is restored to the Father's side in all glory and intimacy of the relationship. Jesus says that because my prayers went unanswered, not only can you know that you are never forsaken, even when God doesn't answer your prayers, but you can experience his presence and his salvation power more deeply, though, when you begin to trust in God in that moment. Jesus actually experiences more depth in his trust of the Father coming out of the cross experience. Jesus says that because my prayers went unanswered, you follow me. Follow me, he says. I want you to put me first and keep trusting me. I'm going to take you on a journey, and on this journey, I'm going to take you to places in which you're going to say why. Places that will get you bloody, where you'll look at me and you'll wonder why. You think that where I've taken you is going to crush you and kill you, and even then, I want you to trust me. Even then, I want you to trust me. I want you to turn to me all of your disappointments. If that's all your trust can muster is a shaking of the fist at me and yelling and screaming at me, then you do that. It may look like one dead end after another, but you keep coming to me. You keep coming to me. This is what life, this is what taking one step before the other in the Christian life looks like. Keep going to God every day when you, even you don't understand. And he says this, the result of this will not only be as in case of Jesus, the salvation of many others, for you will be the result that your faith will grow deeper and your experience of the goodness of God will go deeper and deeper and deeper. And this is why it says, and this is where we end. At the end of all things, it says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know 
even as I have been fully known. See, what God is doing is he creating in you an eternal weight of glory. Shaped in the midst of your suffering, the shape in the midst of all of his nose, in which you continue to come to him. And in that, you're actually, he's actually building your faith and trust in such a way that you experience him as all that you need. And you experience him as the one you fully and truly need to know. Oh, yes, prayer is a mystery. You probably walk out of here, and these answers are not very satisfactory. But he says, in the midst of the the mystery of my will, keep coming to me, and I'll give you myself, and I'll change you in the process. Let's pray. Lord, this is a hard one. I'm not even sure I understand it. I don't understand why my faith and my my experience of you would grow when you don't answer my prayers. And I don't necessarily understand why that's your will. But I pray that I'd follow in the Savior's footsteps. That he trusted you, Father, even when you had forsaken him. And so, Lord, I can trust you even... Even, even when the places where I know you haven't forsaken me, that you've promised to be with me in the midst of unanswered prayers. And so I, I say to you, Lord, I've got prayers that are unanswered. And I don't understand why, Lord. But I know you have never forsaken me. I know that you're good and that you're sovereign. And that I know that you are bringing me to know you more deeply in the midst of this. And so give me yourself, God. As I wait, give me yourself. You're who I want and you're who I need. Convince my heart of what I just prayed. In the midst of the mystery and the lack of clarity, convince my heart that in the midst of the clouds that you're what I need. Show yourself to me, God. Answer this prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.